Well, it's that time of the week again. It's time for Chit Chat Across the Pond. This is episode number 577 for January 3rd, 2019, and I'm your host, Allison Sheridan. This week, our guest is Darren Carr, who is host of the Mac Quadcast podcast. I had the great pleasure of being a guest on Darren's show, and I thought it would be kind of fun to turn the tables on him and ask the same questions he asks his guests. Yeah, I mean, in a way, I'm just being lazy, just stealing his format, but it's such a great format, I wanted to turn the tables on him. So uh, how are you doing today, Darren? Yeah, I'm fine, thank you. Great to be on the show. Thanks for having me on. Hot dogs, besides being freezing because your boilers went out? Yep. Yikes. Uh, all right, well, let, let's dig in right at the very beginning. The first thing that you ask people is, tell us a little bit about yourself. What's your background, and how'd you get into this whole Apple Mac world? I'm currently a blogger on the Mac Court website and a podcaster trying to do a little bit of YouTube in now and um, that's including screencasts and um, video re- reviews of just the things that I've bought and other things I think might be interesting to viewers. Um, I was paralyzed in 19... 19- 87, it was a virus that attacked the spinal cord um, and left me completely paralyzed from the neck down and on a life support machine. You mentioned that when when you're podcasting, uh, that that's what the pauses are, that's when it's breathing for you, is that correct? Yeah. Okay, interesting. That's correct, yes. I have to wait for the uh, ventilator to push air in. So I can actually talk. Oxygen seems like an important thing to have. I it helps, that. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I, I, okay, how how on earth do you do all? I mean, you write, you you record podcasts, you're starting to do YouTube screencasting. Uh, come on, how do you do that without arms and legs and all the stuff the rest of us depend on? Well, when I was first paralyzed, I am. Uh, started to use um, Macintosh Plus way back in 1989 that time and it was a adaption called a Headmaster Plus and my um, setup is very similar these days it's just a iteration further Forward on the headmaster, it's uh, I now use a tracker pro which has a receiver that it's on the top of the computer and it's a tiny little dot that sits on my glasses. And as I move the uh, my, my head, the um, receiver picks up the movements and moves the cursor. And I can move the cursor anywhere on the screen. I then use a sit puff switch to the left right clicks. So and by sip by sip and puff, you mean so you breathe in to click left and you blow in to click right? Um blow in to click left and sip okay. to so the opposite way around. But you can um set it whichever way you want to. So it suits the individual user. 
And I also use the on-screen keyboard for typing. I've tried um, voice dictation in the past, but because of the ventilator, um, my voice fluctuates quite a bit. So um, the voice dictations aren't that great for someone like myself. And also now they're discontinued Dragon for Mac. Oh, I know. I'm, that's that's terrible. That's a uh, yeah. That's a huge problem. That's uh, leaves a big hole for the Mac community. That's for sure. Do, so backing up. So um, you you puff to left click. You uh, sip to right click, and you move the cursor around with your uh, moving your head. And that dot on your glasses is picked up the, by the receiver. How do you actually press the buttons on the keyboard? On the keyboard, I just do a left click for each uh, letter. But the new um, Mac on screen keyboard that was added, um, I think it was to the last OS, has quite good word prediction. So I can, (gasps) with the word prediction and that learning, how you type and things like that. So I can probably get up to 25, 30 words a minute typing. That's amazing. You know, I, I was I was actually kind of testing you when I, I, I shot you a note on Skype and said, hey, you know, I'm ready early whenever you are. And you wrote back really quickly, hi, Allison. And I was like, okay, so maybe that's sort of stored. Let's ask him another question. And you, again, if, if I had not known you were typing with your eyes, I would have expected you were typing like uh, with your fingers. It was yeah. really fast. And also sort of 30-odd years of practice. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, a lot of people don't, don't uh, you know, hunt and peck that fast. Yeah. That's interesting. So, so the the new keyboard doing all the prediction, um, I I use that a lot on the iPhone. I hadn't even thought about it doing well on the uh, on the Mac. That that's pretty cool. Now, what about on uh, on iOS? How does that work? Um, I'm not a big fan of the adaptions for iOS. Um, I. I have to have a carer or someone with me all the time. So with iOS, it's virtually asking someone who's around to make a phone call or something. I, I use my iPad mainly as a com- consumption device. So okay. I don't want to um, sit with a massive headset on when I'm just watching a film or something like that. So my main production devices are my Macs, my laptop, and my iMac, and my iPhone and iPad are mostly consumption devices. Well, that's interesting. Now, why do you have a, a laptop and a desktop? Mainly because... I can never predict where I have to be. Um, being paralyzed from the neck down causes a 
a lot of other problems. And if I'm stuck in bed one day, I've got my laptop to use in bed. Uh, Obviously, I love to be on my big iMac, but having the quite powerful laptop enables me to do virtually anything if I'm stuck anywhere else. Oh, okay. Okay, so uh, that, that makes sense. So, well, let's get let's get into the tech that you use. What do you use to record your podcast? How, I mean, how do you how do you get set up? How do you do that? Um, well, I, I have to ask someone to position my mic and put my headphones on. But once that's done, everything else is um, completely accessible to me via the headset the zip buff switch and the on-screen keyboard. So once that's set up, I just record as virtually everyone else does. I use um, Audio Hijack, Skype or Discord. Um, I use Loopback in, in conjunction with Audio Hijack to cut out some of the ventilator noise. Yeah, that, that's really interesting that you're able to cut that out because I've heard you talk about it on the show. You know, you kind of do an introduction to say, hey, you know, if it's your first time here, if you're hearing this noise, that's my, my uh, ventilator, my life support. And uh, But, I mean, I'm not hearing it hardly at all. That, that loop, or, uh, Audio Hijack's doing a really good job of, of filtering that out. Yeah, I learned how to do the... Um, or the audio gate from a little video that Dave Hamilton put online quite a while oh. ago. So huh, it's I useful don't... for some things. <laughs> <laughs> not a lot, but you know he has his value from time to time. So I mean, do you? Are you so you're not using D hum or D noise? Uh, the actual setup. Setup that I use, I'll have a quick look and let you know. Maybe I should get a copy of that and hear what what you're doing. It's the Audio Dynamics processor, which Ah, acts as a noise gate. And then I've got the equalizer and a denoise all in a line. That's interesting. So the audio dynamics processor, I, I use that as well, um, but that only keeps noise out when I'm not talking. Um, and, you know, set correctly, it's not a sharp cliff, you know, on either side. But when I talk, the noise that's there does come through, and I'm I'm just barely hearing, a you know, a slight noise on your line. Yeah, that's also due to um, mic positioning as well, I find that... The actual positioning and cut out quite a bit of the noise as well. Oh, okay. Good point. Yeah. So then uh, after you're done recording, what do you use to uh, to edit audio? I use um, Logic Pro to adjust any audio, audio that needs adjusting. Um, then I use um, Fission 
to edit and once that's done I use a little service called Orphonic to set the podcast sound sound levels correctly. That sounds like a lot like my process there. Um, So Fission is yet another product from Audio Hijack. Loopback, Audio Hijack, and Fission. Uh, What a great company, huh? Yeah, all right for me. And I don't think I could do do what I do so easily without their software. It's such good software. And the learning curve on it is very small. Within a few hours, I was using it like I'd been using it for years. You know, when uh, I haven't talked about it on the show yet, in fact, I was going to talk about it possibly this week, is the new um, loopback software. They actually made it so much simpler that I kept doing it wrong because I was making these really complicated <laughs> setups. And then finally, I just said, okay, let me just, you know, nothing was working. Everything was feeding back into itself and I could hear myself 12 times and people couldn't hear me on one service or another. And finally, I just scraped it clean and I realized it's like two blocks and that's all I really needed. Yeah, I it was impressive tried what I had you on yet. Oh, it's 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 a beautiful thing. Um, and the other thing is, uh, Rogue Amoeba has really gotten religion about uh, designing with accessibility up front. Yeah, you know, Audio Hijack using the blocks you would think was uh, really visual, and yet it's completely accessible to the blind. I actually had the great pleasure of t- teaching a blind guy how to use it, and it was really really interesting and fun to to try to teach somebody who's using it in a completely different way. It was it was pretty cool. And also they're really responsive to podcasters, anything you suggest. They're there. And um they was actually the first people to sponsor my podcasts. Oh and cool. They agreed to sponsor it without even hearing an episode wow you must be persuasive <laughs> <laughs> well, that's cool uh, now use Auphonic which is uh, I use as well and for the audience that's what gives you the, the loudness uh, level that you need and also levels the audio do you use the desktop version or do you use the web version no I use the web version uh, my first ever podcast uh, all these sound levels were can completely out and um i don't know if you know adam christensen yeah yeah good friend he was helping me out with um how to go about setting up my first podcast and he's he suggested that okay my sound levels were completely out and he sent over quite a few articles of how to get your sound levels correctly. And I just find that when you start out in this community, there are so many people willing to help you, and they're all really great people. You know, I I, I definitely notice the same thing, and I, and I sort of feel like every one of us is reaching down to pull somebody else up at the same time, we're reaching above us to pull, get somebody to pull us up. And I feel like we've got this great chain of people who there's always somebody 
who knows less than you do. And there's always somebody who knows more than you do. So it's really fun to learn from each other. I think that's unique in the Mac community. And I know that sounds really arrogant and, you know, Apple snobby and stuff, but I've asked my friends who are really into Windows and I said, you know, what's the Windows community like? And they say, what are you talking about community? What do you mean? Well, you know, like when Windows people get together and talk about cool stuff with Windows, and they're like, what are you talking about? So I, I think we have... Well, it we should... might be because there is no cool stuff with the Windows. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we've got my ever so slight Mac bias going okay. on. <laughs> going on strong. You don't even pretend not to like it. Right? <laughs> I try to be inclusive, but it's hard sometimes. All right. So uh, so that's how you do your audio. Um, how do you record and edit video? Um, I know you're just getting your feet wet in that, right? Yeah. Very, very early stages with that. So I rely on someone to actually take the video for me. Um, I've just received a gimbal for Christmas so that may help things and so once i've got the video and done the directing or ordering about as people may think (laughs) i then use um for editing i use uh imovia at the moment, hoping to upgrade to Final Cut at some point. Uh, that depends on finances. Uh, I also, for screencasts, use Camtasia. I know, I know a lot of people use ScreenFlow, but I've just become quite adapted using Camtasia, I just find it works in the way my brain works. Whereas I find ScreenFlow a little bit more difficult to get into. So, yeah, just I'm not sure we can be friends anymore. That's where we diverge. (laughs) (laughs) I I had to, but I got to say, I, um, I had to use Camtasia on Windows when I was working and I've used a lot of software since 1984. It is by far the worst software I've ever used, the Windows software. It's it I mean it's incredibly capable, but it just I just felt like I was being poked in the eye with a red hot poker every time I was using it. The red hot poker with some sand on the end. Um it's funny Ethan Annis was just asking me uh questions about what I use for screencasting. He just wrote in and I told him all the stuff about ScreenFlow and he says, "Well, what about Camtasia?" And I said, "Don't even consider it." <laughs> it it's twice as expensive. It's 250 bucks versus 129. Yeah. Uh, but if it's if, the one that I sort of cut my teeth on years ago and I've gone back to it now and it, it, I suppose it's just the program that you grow up on and learn on that you always feel comfortable using. Yeah, I can see that. Um, I do have to say the company Telestream treats ScreenFlow customers like the bottom of their shoe. They, uh, I mean, I don't ever ask for help in the forums that the answer isn't, 
switch to a different user account, does the problem still exist? And my answer is going to be, okay, let's say it doesn't exist. What do I do now? And they say, well, the problem's in your user account. Uh huh. <laughs> what do I do now? And they, they never have an answer for that. They're not uh, not very responsive, not very helpful. And a lot they've had bugs in their software that have been there for years, and they're just like, yeah. So the thing I find with um, ScreenFlow also is if you buy directly from the company, it's a one um, Mac license. Yeah. Um, whereas I think most people use multiple machines these days. I mean, even to have a two Mac license, I just feel that it's a base, basic thing when you buy this piece of software to have at least a couple of users. Yeah. Well, or even one user on two machines, right? Yeah. Yeah, I have managed to always buy it the worst possible way, too. So I bought it on the Mac App Store once, and then they said, okay, to do the upgrade, you have to pay full price again. I'm like, well, I'm yeah. not going to do that. And then I was all mad, and so I missed. Uh, then I missed the upgrade pricing on the single-user license. So I was like, oh, fine. So I paid the full, ended up paying the full price to buy it single-user. And then the next time, I really wanted to go back to multiple users because I had two Macs. I think I do it a different way every other time so that I pay them the maximum amount of money. I think I, that's also why I use um, Camtasia because I can have one license that covers both machines and whichever machine I'm on, I can do what I want to. Yeah, it, it, to be honest, boy, I'm starting to sound like I hate uh, ScreenFall. I really do like the software, but um, I, the other thing I've had trouble with is when I switch users, so I'll, I'll do a lot of screencasting in my Screencast Online account, and then when I want to just do editing and I want to be in my normal environment, I'll switch over to my normal account, and it'll give me all kinds of fits at first, acting like I've just installed it and you don't have rights to use this, and then it'll sort of start behaving itself. So even within one machine, it's not always easy to use one license of ScreenFlow, but I think I have the Mac App Store version now in theory, but... Uh, well, anyway. Um, Until the next upgrade. <laughs> yeah, in which case I pay them all over again. <laughs> let's let's switch over to, to hardware. And uh, now I'm getting into very definitely questions that you ask. Uh, in the history of Apple, what is your top piece of hardware? And is there a particular reason why? I think it would have to be the Macintosh Plus. It was oh. my first computer that I had full access to after. After I was disabled, uh, before that, I was using a um, BBC Micro computer, which I used to have to use a head stick to press each key. Uh, oh. And once I got the Macintosh Plus with a Headmaster adaption, I could access everything on the computer. So it was, even though it was a nine-inch monochrome screen. I could write, design, play games just like every other geek does. <laughs> we we were talking before we started recording that if I've learned anything from uh, talking to my blind friends is that um, you guys just want to do whatever anybody else does. Yeah. 
<laughs> and that seems so obvious, but for some reason people don't grok that. You know, it, it it's it doesn't seem to just immediately become obvious. Once you say it, you sound really stupid if you know if you didn't think that immediately. But duh, what do you want to do with it? Everything you do, Allison. Yeah. So uh the nine inch monochrome screen and uh yeah, that the good times, good times, right? I remember saying that I didn't think anybody ever needed a screen bigger than that. <laughs> or or don't tell me you don't need a color screen. <laughs> you have been listening for a while. Yeah, color. Why do you need color? I'm a visionary. <laughs> so how about your favorite iPhone? I think everyone likes their first iPhone. Uh, my first one was the 3GS, but I don't think that's my favorite. I think at the moment, the one I have currently, the iPhone XS Max, is my favorite. I love the edge-to-edge screen, the camera. The camera is just amazing. And the design, to me, is a really nice design. So even though I always look back at the 3GS, with fondness, I think my favorite is the current big screen iPhone. Interesting. Now, did you have an iPhone 10 or did you go, say, from 6 or 7 up to 10s? I went from uh, 8 plus to okay. uh, the 10s max. Okay. Now, when you had the 8 plus with Touch ID, did someone hold it to your thumb to open it? No, um, that's one of the issues with the 10s Max. With the Touch ID, you could have, um, though it wasn't intended for that, you could have sort of five people who you really trusted, or with a fingerprint on on the Touch ID, and they could have oh, right. access my my phone uh, obviously and with all your had, different carers you've got to have every one of them be able to get you in right yeah and you've got to be able to trust the actual person before you give them that type of access but right. on the iphone 10 max with the face id you've only got two faces there's a space to put um, people on. So at the moment, I've got one carer on there and myself. So if the phone's not in the correct place for my face or the carer that's got her face, as one of the others is not not in, then I've got to give someone my passcode. So that's, uh, I would say it's a security issue for the disabled user of Face ID. So uh, let, me, let me challenge you on that. 
I mean, your face will always be there when you need somebody to do it. So why would your face not be the only face? Because when someone picks up my phone for me, it will automatically try to recognize their face. Right, but you can swipe up and ask it to do it a second time, so they could swipe up to ask it to do a second time and hold it to your face. Yeah, you can do, but that is a longer process than a couple of people with uh, the other form of ID on the iPhone 8. Yeah, I'll I'll give you that. It's it would be slower to have to use your face than to use their finger, but it's more secure if they have to use your face than their finger, right? Yeah, um, but the other issue is if I have problem and I I black out, which can happen with um, low blood pressure on um, paralyzed people then I'm completely out. I'm not looking at the phone and it won't unlock. Uh, You could turn attention off, right? Which is the thing that makes you have to look at it. I wonder if that would be a better compromise. Yeah, everything just seems a little bit more um, difficult with the base ID. It's always always compromising. Interesting. I'm a big fan of it, but uh, obviously my use case is significantly different than yours. I'd be curious whether it would work better for you if you turned off attention, though. That would be interesting to hear back on you, from you yeah. if you ever tried that. Might help. Yeah. All right, let's uh, let's talk hardware. What do, uh, again, for podcasting, what do you use? As I said, I've got a, either my 27-2017 5K iMac mm-hmm. or my 2015 MacBook Pro. Everyone will say that's the last of the good MacBook Pros. <laughs> ah, the whiners. <laughs> um, so either of those actual machines on the 5K iMac I have Focusrite solo audio interface and on the MacBook Pro I have a Zoom U22 USB audio interface and the mic I use on those is a Shaw SM58 XLR mic, and my headphones are I was a Wilkins P3 on ear headphones. Nice. So, uh, for people who don't know what an audio interface is, you want to give them a, a the elevator pitch on what that is? Yeah, the um. XLR mics won't plug it directly to the um, 
USB ports or that. So you've got a audio interface which takes the audio file from the mic converts it and then plays it into your setup set up via USB. Right, right. So and I'm it, looking at... Oh, sorry. It probably gives a bit more audio quality because it's got the got a far superior chips for audio audio processing than doing it on board on on the actual computer. Huh. Now, uh, I, I'm looking at this focus right. It looks like a sweet little box. It's only 110 bucks. It, so it's got the um, XLR input for the microphone. It looks like it's also got like a guitar amp input. Yeah, uh, I'm not going to be using that one. My <laughs> musical abilities aren't that good. <laughs> <laughs> Not the guitar riffer of, of choice here. No. And then, so it's got a gain switch on that, and that allows you to adjust the gain uh, to amp up your voice before it gets into the Mac? Yeah, that's correct, yes. Okay. And then do you monitor uh, your audio directly from that interface? Yeah, I obviously, as I said, have it feeding into audio height. And one of the blocks I've got is the levels block so I can see what levels are going on with my input. But do you are your headphones plugged into the audio interface so that you can hear your voice while you're talking to me, for example? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. You know, I haven't I should experiment with that. I haven't actually done it that way. I use the um I use a block in Audio Hijack to uh, monitor my audio after it's gone through the processing. I don't. I don't uh, directly monitor. Yeah, uh, I think it just depends what, how you feel comfortable. Um, some people don't feel comfortable hearing their voice on the headphones. Just completely switch that off. I, I think yeah. Dan Moran does that. So. I've been trying to convince Bart to do it for a long time, but it's, to me, it's essential to know whether, you know, if you're peaking or, or popping or, or if there's noise coming through on the line. Yeah, it helps. It can. But even though I find, though I'm used to it, it can be a little distracting hearing your own voice. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I I won't say that was the easiest transition, but once I got I got used to it, it wasn't too bad. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Okay. Cool. So back into software. Um. One of the questions you like to ask is, what's the biggest time wasting app or service you use on your Mac? Uh, time wasting on my Mac is. I'm not a big social media fan. So I don't spend a lot of time on Twitter or Facebook. I have a 
sort of hate-hate relationship <laughs> with Facebook and try to avoid it like the plague, but you have to be on there for some things. Um, but my, I love playing World of Warcraft. Um, yeah. I always play every Sunday with a couple of friends. Um, so I waste a bit of time there. And I'm also a big chess player. Um, oh. ICC, um, the Internet Chess Club, is a great online club. And most of my wasted time is playing playing chess. I go on there for, it's supposed to be for one game, and it ends up 20. So, yeah, oh. chess is my big time waster. <laughs> you know, uh, I might get some information from you after the fact on, on where and how you play, because uh, Steve just said recently he thinks he'd like to get back into playing chess. Yeah, it's it's a great, great sort of community. It's not, there's no trolling or things like that on there. It's just people on there to have a game of chess. Those seem like really different worlds, World of Warcraft and chess. Like those communities would be pretty different. Yeah, you could say that. <laughs> so what about the most useful application on your Mac? On my Mac, I love Ulysses. All of my writing starts in Ulysses, um, blog posts, show notes. All my personal writing all is just chucked into Ulysses. It's easy to find whatever you want to. The search in it is great, and the sync is perfect. I've never had huh. a problem with it syncing. Um, they've sponsored on, your show too, right? Yeah. But also, um, on my last show, I had the author, David Hewson, and oh. he uses... Ulysses to write all of his novels and he's a massive fan of it as well. Oh, interesting. I I have tried it. I uh, I tend to use tools that make it easy to in- embed images and links is why I don't ever stick with anything but Mars Edit yeah. for, uh, for blog posting. I think if you write a lot of just regular text, that might be a better way to go. So uh, how about your most useful and most time-wasting apps on iOS? Because of the way I use iOS, I don't really waste a lot of time on there because I have to have someone else using it for me. But I am a big podcast fan, so whichever podcast app, that I'm using at that time is my most useful. And also I use Audible uh, an awful lot. So I listen to audiobooks on the um, iOS device. But I don't see audiobooks or podcasts as a waste of time, so I would say they're my most useful. Yeah, I mean, you're learning, right? Yeah. 
I suppose if you just listen to junk podcasts, not high quality stuff like the Matt Quadcast and the Nocilla cast, then it would be oh, time. Obviously. <laughs> so my favorite question you asked me was if you could control Tim Cook via Siri for a day, what hardware project would you initiate or have him increase investment in? And uh, following that, where would iOS and macOS be heading if you could control Tim Cook? This one's easy for me. <laughs> I'd have Tim on the phone to the S lady team and pump investment into basic voice functionality for the S lady <laughs> for apps such as. Um, Apple Books, it'd be great to go into an ebook, say, on the iPad and just say, S Lady, turn page, and the page would turn. Oh, yeah. That seems like an obvious use. Yep. Or in the Apple TV remote app, just say, S Lady, up, down, left, right to control the basic controls of the Apple TV. I mean, as I've said, I'm paralyzed from neck down, so Siri button on the Apple TV is completely useless to me. I can't press it. Oh, so it's even though it's accessible to the blind, it's not accessible to you at all? No, not at all. Interesting. So the remote on the phone could be useful, except you can't get it to move around. You can't move it around like you can with your with your eyes on your computer. No. So just uh, having basic functionality for different apps using Siri. So a lot of investment into Siri, that's where I think I'd ask Tim to Put the investment. Have you ever uh, written to him and suggested this to him? I haven't done it at the moment. It's uh, it, it sometimes causes things to happen when you write to the very top. You don't you don't always get pleasure. Maybe you get a letter back from somebody else, but uh, couldn't hurt to ask. I mean, especially the Apple Books thing one. That doesn't seem that hard. Turn the page. Yeah, Come that's on. that's my view exactly. That it's. Not adding a feature that takes a lot of programming. It's a very basic feature that would give a lot of access to motor impaired users. Yeah, yeah, I know uh, they've focused on switch control, but that doesn't help you either. Um, It would do, but... As I said earlier, when you're relaxing, you don't want a massive switch system yeah. atta- attached to you. Right, right. You got to get the, the headset off your, from time to time. Just having your iPhone that, next to you that can give directions to either a, a service or a device would be so much easier. Right, right. Yeah, I think you should write to him. <laughs> Why not? Ask him. Yeah. All I can do is ignore you. <laughs> so uh, let's switch gears. be the first. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's Darren again. Jeez. <laughs> guys drive me nuts. But, uh, 
Um, so uh, let's see. The next question you ask is about services. Are there services you would point listeners towards, and not necessarily Apple services, but some kind of service you like? One that I use well, on daily basis is Setup. Oh. Um, loads of apps, low monthly price. This also includes my Ulysses subscription, but they're adding adding that sorry adding apps all the time and yeah it's just a a great service i mean i think i pay about 9 pounds 50 uk and that gives me access to well over 100 apps you know, Sorry. the only com- the only complaint I've heard about Setapp is from people like me who say, but I already own the really good apps. But if I add up how much money I spent on all of those, I think my advice to, especially to new users to the Mac, is get a Setapp subscription right away. Because yeah. the best stuff is in there. There, I mean, Rogue Amoeba stuff isn't in there, but amazing tools are in there that I use. Every time I find out an app I already use is in there, I'm like, oh, man, but I already paid for it. I I was of that opinion until the new versions of different apps started coming out. And uh-huh. I thought, I'm going to spend 20, 30, 40 pounds on the new version. Or do I start up a set app subscription and start saving? Yeah. All the new versions are automatically added to to set up so you don't have to pay the upgrade costs. That's uh yeah, that's a really good point. I wonder whether either of our favorite screencasting apps are in there. I was just looking I don't think so, no. <laughs> I'm sure Telestream would never do it, but uh, no. and I thought maybe the versions that would be in there would be the old ones. You know, it'd no, be like all okay, the, well, all the actual newest versions, yeah. of all the apps. Yeah, the only thing I think you can't do—they um, don't let you use some things that rely on iCloud for syncing. You can do Dropbox syncing, but not iCloud syncing. Do I remember that correctly? Uh, no, because you, Ulysses. Uses iCloud syncing, and that's in there. Huh. Okay. I thought I remembered when I did. Um. Uh. Oh shoot! What's the name of my favorite um, outlining app? Cloud Outliner Pro. Uh. The only difference between the setup version and the paid for the regular paid for version was something about iCloud syncing, but maybe they changed that. I thought it was some restriction Apple gave them. But anyway. Well, that's a good recommendation. I don't know. Maybe I should go back. I felt bad when I when I stopped giving them the money, and they they were so nice, going, "Well, you know, what can we do to improve?" And I, nothing. It's just I already paid for everything <laughs> I want to use. So, uh, yeah, I think it'd be a good good tool to tell people about when they're first getting started before they before they do invest in everything. That's a great uh, great tool. All right. Yeah. So, apart from the podcast you're involved with, and obviously listening to No Silicast, which uh, what podcast you never skip an episode of and would recommend? Well, obviously, it's the usual 
Mac Geek podcasts like like um, Mac Power Users, the Mac Cast, and the Mac Geek app. But yeah. apart from tech podcasts, one one that I really love is one called Dead Rock Stars. <laughs> I I'm quite a big music fan and they take a different dead rock star clues in the title each week and take a look at their lives and it's usually quite irreverent so yeah that's one of them and the other one is um Komodo Mayo's field film review it's a podcast of the BBC Radio 5 live movie show and it's the quick description is two old blokes wittering on about films so (laughs) oh why I'm talking about this podcast got to say hello to Jason Isaacs (laughs) is he one of the uh, two old blokes no but he's a actor who features on it quite often. Okay. That sounds fun. I haven't listened to either one of those. Let's see. You've got a project. Uh, You're starting a page on your website called the Quadcast Digital Archive. And uh, in 500 years, it's going to give an insight of what us geeks loved. So uh, what's your your top album that has been released digitally of all time that you would put in this uh, digital archive? I've been a fan of Queen for years and years and years, and it's their album, A Night at the Opera, released in 1975. Um, most people know it for Bohemian Rhapsody being on it, but ah, okay. a lot of Queen fans have another favourite song, which is called Love of My Life, and that features on that album so yeah it's got to be that album uh darren and i had a bit of fun when he asked me this question (laughs) as as you guys all know i don't listen to music so it's just like dead silence here you go (laughs) all right how about a movie uh that has been released digitally uh your best movie of all time what would you have in the archive um i don't think it's the best movie of all time but it's a movie that I can always go back to and always makes me laugh and smile if you're feeling a little bit down. Um, I don't know if you, it's as big in America as it is over here, but it's a film called Shaun of the Dead. And oh, yeah. It's Simon Pegg and Nick Bros. That is in 2004. You have an irreverent sense of humor, don't you? You've noticed, have you? (laughs) I love that movie. I went out and bought it as soon as I saw it once. I was like, okay, I need to own this. We haven't gone back and watched it. Now I'm going to have to do that. So uh, how about an audio book? What audio book would you put into this archive? My audio book, once again, is probably not the best book of all time, but it's one that I really enjoyed. the film wasn't quite as good as the book. The book has 
so much more than the film, and that's Ready Player One by Ernest Cline. Ah. Yeah, I've heard real mixed reviews on those. Uh, how geeky do you have to be to really enjoy Ready Player One? You have to be quite geeky. Uh, you have to be probably a fan of 80s geekiness. So films from the 80s, music from the 80s. If you're aware and into those type of things, then you'll love it. Huh. Yeah, it probably doesn't sound like me, does it? <laughs> <laughs> Computers from the AD, I'm in with you, but as soon as you get into the other uh, nerd geek stuff, not as much, not into games and music. Uh, movies to some extent, but probably not the right kind of movies for that. But I know I know people who are into that who really love it. Well, Darren, this has been a lot of fun. I enjoyed learning about your accessibility stuff probably the most, but it was kind of fun to turn the tables and uh, and ask you these same questions. So if uh, people want to catch up with you, where would they find your work? Um, website is the MacPod. So that's www.themacpod.com. And on there you can find the Mac Podcast, the podcasts that I do. And also, if you do a search for the Mac podcast on iTunes or other podcatchers, it will hopefully come up. <laughs> yeah, I think it does. I was able to find it quite easily on Pocket Cast. And uh, how about any kind of social media? I know uh, we won't look for you on Facebook. Uh, anywhere else? There is a Mac pod Facebook group, it's only just started, and as I said, I'm not a great fan of Facebook, <laughs> but also on Twitter, it's just at the MacPod, and there's a YouTube channel, the MacPod, that's where you can find me. Well, great. This has been uh, this has been really fun. I, and uh, like I said, I enjoyed learning about all your tools and uh, look forward to talking to you again soon. This was fun. Yeah, it's been interesting being on the receiving end. Thanks for <laughs> having me on. It's been real fun. All right. Bye bye. Bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Chit Chat Across the Pond. This show is not supported by ads. It's supported by you. If you learn from the show, or even if you're just merely entertained by the shows, please consider supporting the show. If you go to podfeet.com, there's a big red button in the top banner that says support the show. If you click it, that will reveal to you several ways to contribute. You can pledge a monthly amount using Patreon. You can use the Amazon affiliate link for your country. You can make a one-time donation using PayPal, or you can record a listener review, which is an awesome way to contribute. You can always chat directly with me via Twitter at Podfeet or email me at allison at podfeet.com. You can join the conversation in Facebook by going to podfeet.com slash Facebook or on Google Plus at podfeet.com slash Google Plus. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed.